evening, and welcome to the Sunday evening worship service at the White Oak Church of Christ. I'd like to thank the men of the White Oak Church of Christ for giving me the opportunity to preach the Word of God tonight. If you are a visitor here tonight, I want you to know that you are an honored guest, and I would like to invite you back at every opportunity you have to come. If you have any questions about anything we do, or if you are not sure why we conduct our worship services the way we do, with congregational singing, and while we partake the Lord's Supper each week, then ask me or one of the members here to direct you to someone who can set up a Bible study with you to help you understand why we worship God the way we do. Tonight I'm going to address why we worship God and the pattern for that worship, how we do some things different from the popular worldview of religion, and why it is imperative that we conduct our worship services according to the will of God and not the modified teachings of man. All scripture reading will come from the King James translation of the Bible. It is my utmost desire that if you are here tonight and you are not a member of the Church of Christ, that you will listen openly to what I say and realize that what I say is out of love for your immortal soul. It is that I... It is my desire that one day we can all spend an eternity together in heaven. I hope that I do not say anything in a way that is offensive to you, but I will not apologize if you find the divine word of God offensive. If you believe that anything I say here tonight is an error, please let me know. I will earnestly study the scriptures with you. If I am wrong, I am willing to change, but I would ask that same open commitment by you to find the truth and follow it. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We can also read the inspired words of Peter in 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Therefore, brethren, let us study the inspired word of God, the Bible, and let us see what it says about the one true church, the church that God established through the death of his only begotten Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And let us see how the worship services of the first century church that we can read about in the Bible were conducted. Unfortunately today, we cannot say just because a congregation wears the name Church of Christ that it is attempting to emulate the example that we have clearly presented in the Bible. The Bible is our roadmap to heaven, and we must follow the directions in it to reach our desired destination, and not the teachings of men. I know today we have moved beyond the use of the old paper maps for getting to our destinations. We now have the GPS and navigation systems. But I am sure many of the women in the congregation tonight can confirm that the old paper maps were of no use if you would not get them out and look at them for directions. And I know, ladies, that you can tell me that occasionally you have to stop and ask for directions, which is a direct violation of the men's code of belief. We do not stop for directions. <laughs> I will open up our spiritual map tonight the Bible, and use the inspired word of God 
to attempt to show you the simple way to heaven. My sermon will consist of three main questions with some secondary points in each section. Why do we worship God and is there a pattern for that worship? Why do we do some things different from the popular worldview of religion? Why is it imperative that we conduct our worship services according to the will of God and not the modified teachings of man? The first question to ask tonight is why do we worship God? And is there a pattern for that worship? I will consider four broad reasons why we might say that we worship God. Because it is commanded for us to worship God, because of our love for God, because of his great love for us, and because of our hope of eternal life in heaven one day. We read in Deuteronomy 12:28, Observe and hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee forever. When thou doest that which is good and right in the sight of thy Lord thy God. We read the words of David in Psalms 86, 9 through 13. All nations thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great, and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God. With all my heart I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy towards me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. We read in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. We read in Matthew 22, 36 through 38 the account of Jesus answering the Pharisees as they tried to tempt him. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Jesus says in John fourteen fifteen, If ye love me, keep my commandments. We show our love to God by keeping his commandments. We should also understand and appreciate the great love that God had for us to send his only begotten son to die for our sins. Jesus says in John three sixteen through 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. During the recent gospel meeting here with Brother Ben Vick, he presented to us the graphic details of the cruel and brutal death that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ endured to save us from our sins. This is a death that Christ was fully aware of, coming, aware of coming, and he faced it because of his love for us. We can read the words of Jesus in John 10, 17 through 18. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. If for no other reason than the great sacrifice of God's only Son, we should worship him 
for that unmerited love for us. However, we know through the scriptures that we have the hope of eternal life in heaven if we are obedient to the will of God. Jesus says in John 14, 1 through 4, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. We read in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We read a similar passage in 1 Peter 1, 3-4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Based on the inspired word of God, the Bible, we know there are many reasons why we should worship God, but I think it is critical that we keep in mind the ultimate goal, the hope of eternal salvation. What a blessed hope of eternal salvation is ours if we worship God as he commanded. Now that brings us to the second point of the initial question. Is there a pattern for our worship service? The answer to that question is a definite yes. We have the Bible, God's inspired word, that gives us an example or pattern of how the first century church worshipped God. Jesus says in John 4, 24, God is a spirit. Them that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This form of worship is in direct contrast to how Jesus depicts the worship of the Jews in Matthew 15, 7 through 9. Jesus said, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Therefore, brethren, let's make sure that our worship is not in vain by worshiping God with our hearts according to his doctrine. Let's look at some examples of the worship services we read about in the Bible. We read in Acts 2, 41 through 42. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We also read about another critical aspect of worship that I will address a little more thoroughly shortly. We read in Ephesians 5.19, Speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. 
Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Do we know what day of the week the first century church came together to worship God? Yes, without any doubt, through the inspired word of God, we read in Acts 27. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. We also read in 1 Corinthians 16:2, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Based on the inspired word of God, the Bible, we know how to worship God in spirit and in truth. We know when when to worship God. It's the first day of the week or Sunday. And, and last of all, we know the five parts of that worship service, what they should contain. The five components of worship are praying, congregational singing, a study of God's word, weekly observance of the Lord's Supper, and a weekly collection for the saints. These are the same five components of worship that you will see observed every first day of the week at White Oak Church, Church of Christ. Now that we know through the scriptures how the first century church worshiped God, it should be our desire to pattern our services as closely to theirs as possible. However, there are changes beginning to take place in churches that call themselves Churches of Christ that have been a regular part of the popular world religion. I will address three aspects of our worship service that today seem to be a point of confusion for some people who claim to be doing the will of God. Some of them wear the name Church of Christ, but they are not, but they are following man-made doctrines. Unfortunately, there are some of these so-called Churches of Christ even in our area. I believe the Bible is clear on all three aspects of worship that I will address tonight. Those three aspects of worship are the use of instrumental music, the essentiality of baptism, and the role of women in the worship service. First of all, let's look at the song service that we read about in the New Testament. Nowhere in the New Testament do we read about musical instruments being used in the worship service. The Old Testament mentions only limited use of musical instruments in the Jewish worship service, and they were all outside the temple. We must realize that we are bound by a new covenant, ratified by the blood of Jesus. We are not bound by any component of the law of Moses. We read in Colossians 3, 16 through 17, let the word of God, excuse me, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. We read in Ephesians 5, 19 through 21, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Give thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. We read in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, what is this then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. 
I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. We read in Hebrews 13, 15, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Based on these scriptures, the will of God is that we praise him as the creature that he created with the fruit of our lips. Does this mean that there is something sinful about musical instruments? No, it just means they are not ordained for, the, for that part of the worship service to God. The second point of worship that I want to address is the essentiality of baptism for salvation. There is a great deal of division in the religious world today about how a person can be saved. There are some religions that believe you can quote a sinner's prayer and be saved. There are some that believe that baptism is just a ritual that is optional, but it has no true role in salvation. And there are some religions that believe that infants must be baptized to eliminate sin that they are born with. Brethren, if we earnestly study the scriptures, we will find that all three of these beliefs are not in accordance to the will of God. That We find that word in the Bible. First of all, let's read what Jesus said about how to be saved in Mark 16, 15 through 16. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Let us also see what Peter and the apostles said to the sinners on the day of Pentecost. We read in Acts 2, 37 through 38. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We can also read about the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch by Philip in Acts 8, 36-39. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. We can also read about the conversion of Paul in Acts 22. We see in verse 16 the final requirement of that conversion. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. In none of the scriptures do we hear Jesus or the apostles telling men to pray the sinner's prayer. Neither do we find them saying that baptism is optional, nor do we see infants being baptized. We read in Romans 10.10, 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This verse is a direct indictment of the concept of infant baptism. Is an infant able to make the good confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Ask yourselves, brethren, what does the Bible say about baptism, not what do men say? If we want to spend an eternity in heaven, we must do the will of God. Is salvation by any other means of baptism ordained by God? 
The biblical answer is most certainly no. The third point of worship that I want to address is the role of women in the worship service. I have no doubt that there are many women here tonight that are more knowledgeable of God's Word than I am. I am equally sure that there are women here that are more articulate than I am. So why do we not have one of them preaching tonight? The critical question to consider, as with everything, is would our worship service be pleasing to God if a woman was conducting any aspect of the worship service while men sat in silence? As with every question tonight, let's see what the Bible says. We read the words of Paul in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. We also read in 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35. Let your women keep silence in the church, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Does this mean that women have no role in the church? No, that is not what the Bible teaches. We read in Acts 18 about the error of Apollos. And in verse 26 we read, And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. We also read in Titus 2, 3 through 5, The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as, becoming, as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Men, be aware that women becoming active in churches has come as a result of inactive men. We have a duty to God in conducting the worship service according to his will. We cannot have a worship service that is according to the will of God if men are sitting back and letting women fill our ordained role in the church. Just because through our inactivity we give them the authority to take our place in the pulpit, that does not mean that women in the pulpit teaching a mixed gender assembly is pleasing to God. We do not have the authority to change anything that God has commanded. There is the argument that this rule was just a part of the culture in that day and time. However, we must be mindful of Malachi 3.6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. We can also read in Isaiah 55.8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. In Hebrews 13.8 we read, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. As the simple human being that God created, our perception of sin may change from generation to generation. Look at what is acceptable in the world today compared to just 20 years ago. However, if it was not acceptable to God 2,000 years ago, it is still not acceptable to God today. Therefore, we must ask ourselves, are women ordained by God 
to teach or preach in a mixed gender assembly? The simple biblical answer is no. Therefore, all three aspects of the worship service that I address tonight, the song service, essentiality of baptism, and the role of women in the worship service, leave us with the same question, are we doing the will of God? That brings us to the last of my initial three points of discussion. Why is it so important that we worship God according to his divine plan for salvation? First of all, let's not lose sight of what is at stake the hope of eternal salvation, a home with God in heaven for an eternity. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Enter ye in at straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Just a few verses later in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, brethren, if we hope to spend an eternity in heaven, we must be obedient to the will of God and conduct our worship services according to his plan. There are some people who would say that this is too strict an interpretation of the Bible, since God does not want anyone to be lost. However, I hope that you would consider the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts." Please pay particular attention to how much more that this point is emphasized in a similar passage found in 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 16. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We need to search the scriptures to know the will of God. And once we know the will of God, we need to conduct our worship services according to his will. Brethren, we cannot modify God's pattern for worship to meet our desires or out of convenience. Let us be mindful of two men who did not obey that will 
or the commandments of God during their worship to him. We read about the sons of Aaron in Leviticus 10, 1 through 2. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out a fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. The two sons of Aaron died because they did not worship God as they had been commanded during their worship service. Today we do not face a physical death when we violate the will of God, but we do face spiritual death. Anything short of obeying the will of God is sin, and sin will separate us from God for an eternity if we do not repent of that sin. We must not be guilty of adding to or taking away from the pattern of worship that we find in the Bible. We read the words of John in Revelations 22:18 through 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Brethren, life is short and its continuous, continuance is uncertain beyond this very moment. We read in James four thirteen through 14, Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas we know not, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. We also also read in Hebrews nine twenty seven, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. We read in Romans fourteen eleven through twelve. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Brethren, are you ready for that day to come? Are your friends, family, and loved ones prepared for that day to come? How many people do you think have left this world thinking they have more time to make their life right with God? We have no guarantee of tomorrow. We must always be ready to meet our God. We must do what we can to bring everyone to Christ into the one church that we can read about in the Bible. Tonight I've tried to briefly address why God, why we worship God and, and why we conduct our worship services the way we do. I have addressed three aspects of our worship service that are different from most of the religious world. And I have addressed, have addressed why the obedience to God's will is so important. Therefore, if you are not a member of the one church that you can read about in the Bible, I hope that I have said something that has made you curious about the Word of God. I hope that you will give us an opportunity as a church to study with you and show you the way to worship God as the Christians in the first century did. If tonight, as a non-Christian, I've convinced you that you need to make a change in your life, you have an opportunity to repent, confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and be baptized for the remission of your sins, so that you can go on your way rejoicing, just like the Ethiopian eunuch did. 
If you're here tonight and you're an erring child of God, you also have the opportunity to make your life right with God before it is everlastingly too late. Please come together as we stand and sing.